Just because I may have to consider what that next job's going to be doesn't mean I'm not on the job doing the job I need to do every day here. I can walk and chew gum at the same time. From WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio, it's the Christie Tracker. Get the hell off the beach. You're done. They try to light me to make me look better, everybody, but you know, these are not miracle lights. Either sit down and keep quiet or get out. One or the other. We're done with you. I'm David First here with Matt Katz, who covers Chris Christie for WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio and is writing a biography about the governor for Simon & Schuster. And later we'll be talking about the ExxonMobil settlement with Tom Moran, the editorial page editor for the Star-Ledger, and Matt Rooney, who runs the conservative website SaveJersey.com. But first, in basketball, the pivot is an essential move that can allow a player with the ball to trick a defender and score points. Pivoting is one of the most basic skills in the game of basketball. The post-reverse pivot is a phenomenal move and one that every player should have in their game. And for the purposes of this video, we'll call that full pivotential. In politics, the pivot can be used to score political points, but it also carries the risk of being labeled a flip-flop. It can ultimately lose voters. And uh, Matt Katz, this past week when he was speaking at the Conservative Political Action Conference in Maryland, Governor Christie performed a classic pivot move. It was classic and it was so very telling. To me, this indicated more of a step forward in the presidential campaign for him in his uh, quasi-pre-presidential campaign than anything he's really done so far. Every year, uh, for the first five years uh, that Governor Christie was in office, he vetoed Seven and a half million dollars in a line item allocation for women's health centers and family planning clinics. We would ask him, why are you vetoing this? Every single time, he would say it was an economic decision. The governor is pro-life, but we would ask him, "Is this have to do with Planned Parenthood? Is this about abortion? No, no, no. This is a fiscal decision. Here's an exchange he had with Michael Aaron on NJTV in 2013. Um, This should be noted that this is when he is running for re-election in New Jersey, which is a uh, generally considered a pro-choice state. Um, And he's asked whether, you know, this has anything to do with abortion. It's not the issue. The issue is duplication of services in a state budget that when I came in here was incredibly, incredibly in distress. Then this past week, when he's at uh, CPAC, uh, we get a different explanation. We get the pivot. Laura Ingram, the uh, conservative talk radio host, asks him, and this is a pretty cons- in front of a pretty conservative crowd. I mean, CPAC is your base, right? So she asks him, why should we believe that you're pro-life? Why should we believe that you're socially conservative enough for us? He begins his answer with the way he has answered such questions in the past. I ran as a pro-life candidate in 2009, unapologetically spoke at the pro-life rally on the steps of the State House. the first governor to ever speak at a pro-life rally on the steps of the State House in New Jersey. And then he says... And uh, vetoed Planned Parenthood funding five times out of the New Jersey budget. Yeah. He then uses the example of vetoing Planned Parenthood money, $7.5 million every year, five times as to why he's pro-life. This is an absolute pivot away from concentrating on pro-choice New Jersey and, you know, taking the ball, turning around, and facing the conservative voters in the 2016 Republican presidential primaries. 
So there was an, actually another pivot, David, at the uh, at the CPAC convention. This is on Common Core, which is becoming a major issue in the 2016 election. Uh, right now, it's playing out in the Republican primaries. They don't like this, these education standards. And in this case, you saw the pivot begin last November, where he said, I quote, have some real concerns about Common Core. And then finally, at CPAC, he went even further. And now he appears to be a Common Core opponent. The hesitations I have now... Uh, Because in New Jersey, we've always been for standards and for high standards, and we had those beforehand. Uh, But my concern now, as we've begun to try to do implementation, it's not only the heavy foot of the federal government that's coming in, but it's not doing what we need to have done in New Jersey. We need to have local control. He said he had regrets about agreeing to it. I'll just say this. I don't envy the gauntlet that these guys have to go through. And I don't imagine that it's necessarily possible the way our system is set up today to be a truth teller and win a partisan primary and then win a general election. I don't imagine how you can not pivot at all throughout that whole journey. So to some extent, I have a little bit of sympathy for the governor. The Common Core pivot uh, has been uh, developing over time. Matt, can you walk us uh, very quickly through a couple of the governor's other pivots? There's another one that's a little more subtle, and this is Obamacare. This is not necessarily a pivot. It's a little bit of a hide-the-ball situation, maybe. I don't know if I'm taking that analogy too far, but what he's doing is he's against Obamacare, And then in his budget, he got $567 million because of Obamacare, because of federal funds that came to New Jersey due to the provision of Obamacare that he did accept. The governor failed to mention the fact that he's getting $567 million from Obamacare in his budget speech. But before his budget speech, we spoke to the treasurer in a briefing with reporters, and we pressed him on this. And this is what he said when asked about Obamacare. It's been uh, a blessing for providing appropriate care to our most vulnerable populations. This is another pivot in some extent. Another revelation about how he has to pivot between these two worlds here came at uh, his first town hall meeting of the year. This was in Morristown, New Jersey, down in South Jersey. The governor ended the town hall by saying, you'll hear a lot about me, maybe running for president. I haven't made a decision yet, but I want you to know, no matter what I do, this is my priority. I'm focused on New Jersey. I want you to know that every day I'm working as hard as I can to make sure we get the things done in the state that we get done. And I'm going to continue to do that. Um, And if I decide to run for president, you'll all hear about it first. I mean, after Mary Pat and the kids. But right after that, the people in this state will hear about it first. Moments later, he he leaves the stage, standing ovation, goes backstage. And who does he do an exclusive interview with? But Mark Halperin, who's perhaps the most prominent presidential campaign reporter in the country. This is an exclusive interview that the local press corps uh, was not invited to. And then he did an interview with the Weekly Standard, the national conservative publication. If he's going to say he cares predominantly about New Jersey and then goes and talks to a national reporter and doesn't, you know, allow the local press to go and talk to him about New Jersey issues, then, you know, there, there's something of a, a pivot there that I think is important to point out. They'll be doing town hall meetings in New Jersey and then eventually town hall meetings in New Hampshire, and you could see those happening in the same week. And will he be forced, because of the realities of 
maintaining his uh, political capital in New Jersey while also running for president in a conservative primary? Will he be able to pivot back and forth easily? Or is, you know, Rand Paul and the national media going to knock the ball out of his hands or foul him on the way to the basket? Am I taking this, uh, am I taking this too far? You're taking it way too far, Matt. We're, <laughs> we're going to have to wrap it up right there. And uh, as, as the governor puts it, I can walk and chew gum at the same time. We'll have to see if you can play basketball and chew gum at the same time. Matt Katz, thanks for joining us. Thanks, David. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way to dribble up and down the court. Just like I'm the king on the microphone. So it's Dr. J and Moses Malone. I like slam dunks. This is the Christie Tracker Podcast. I'm David Furst. This past week, we heard that the Christie administration was settling a decade-long environmental dispute between the state of New Jersey and ExxonMobil over the contamination of 1,500 acres of wetlands. The New York Times reported ExxonMobil would pay $250 million. The state was asking for $9 billion in damages. And uh, right before the judge was going to announce how much ExxonMobil would have to pay, the Christie administration stepped in and asked the judge to hold off on the ruling. We're here with the Star-Ledger's Tom Moran. And, uh, Tom, this reported settlement is not final. The judge still has to sign off on this, but... Uh, a lot of people were upset about uh, news of this settlement. Many felt it was likely that New Jersey would be awarded much more. Yeah, this isn't final. Uh, there are a lot of people who will be pressing the judge to reject it because it's so tilted in favor of Exxon. This settlement comes to about 3% of what New Jersey has been fighting to get for a full decade over um, Democrat and Republican administrations. People's heads are exploding, basically. Can you describe the site for us? So pretty much everybody in the world who's driven through New Jersey is familiar with this one. If you're driving down the turnpike and you get to about exit 13 and you see the gigantic refinery on your right, that's the land we're talking about. It's been dumped on for over a century. And it, it used to stink. And it's part of where Jersey got its reputation as a place that stinks. It doesn't smell as much as it used to. But it used to have that rotten egg, sulfuric, when you're driving around and people say, ah, oh, it's Jersey, put up the windows. That's this site. This began, the pollution began in about the 1870s. You're talking about they still looks and smells like petroleum waste dumps. This is according to a, a, a state's expert report that's submitted to the court. Spilled materials from pipeline ruptures, tank failures and overflows and explosions. The land there is, quote, now mostly covered with a tar of petroleum products. This is mostly legacy damage. I mean, we're much more strict now with how much you can pollute on these things. But New Jersey lives with this all over the place. So New Jersey needs money. And as it turns out, last year, Christie changed the law so that when there is a big environmental settlement like this, only $50 million can go to the cleanup. The rest goes to the state budget to help plug the budget gap. So that law expires at the end of this fiscal year. So it's in Christie's uh, sharp interest to try to settle for something. And $50 million will go to the cleanup, and he, if this were approved, could grab $200 million for his budget, which would be crucial help right now. Before we're even talking about the cleanup, is $250 million worth 10 years uh, pursuing this case? No, you have to wonder how much we spent on legal fees and how much that will cover. The other interesting thing about this to me, though, is this cap, because that applies to all these kind of environmental cases. Although environmentalists are upset about this, given the cap, there's only $50 million for the cleanup either way. This could be a settlement for $5 billion, and you'd only have $50 million for the cap. So in some ways, it's that cap that really is exposed here as the challenge to the environment more than this settlement. Is Christie rushing a deal to make sure he gets it in this fiscal year? Because now Democrats are saying, 
we're not going to let them extend this cap. Tom Moran with the Star-Ledger, thanks for speaking. Okay, Dave. We're joined now by Matt Rooney, who runs the conservative website SaveJersey.com. Welcome back, Matt. Hey, David. It's great to be with you always. Matt, what's your take on this? Is this a settlement the state of New Jersey should take? Uh, Many think that the state is entitled to more in this case and believe uh, that the judge was about to give more. My, My first instinct, to be honest with you, David, is just make the obvious comment, which is that as attorneys, you may ask for a certain sum. But that doesn't mean you're going to get it. Oftentimes, you put a number out there that you're seeking and you end up with substantially less. Maybe the Christie administration decided at a time of budget crisis, and the Democrats love to talk about that, including Ray Lesniak and some of the other ones who have been the harshest critics of this settlement that we haven't even seen yet. They're constantly talking about how the state is in a state of fiscal crisis. So being that the case, why are we spending all of these council fees on litigation that goes back decades. What about the cost of cleaning up that land? Shouldn't ExxonMobil be required to pay for land they contaminated? Uh, according to the New York Times, Exxon's liability was uh, no longer in dispute in this case. Oh, sure. Listen, I think environmental regulations are important. I think that if a company pollutes and violates regulations or uh, harms New Jersey's ecosystems, then we need they need to step up and they need to uh, provide the resources to at least contribute to making right wherever a wrong occurred. From what I've read, it looks like we were asking for damages. And when I say we, we mean the state of New Jersey. We were asking for damages well in excess of what was actually needed to remediate any damage. Whenever you take money from a company, that could ultimately end up in lost jobs, American jobs, you darn well better have a good excuse for it. I want to see a correlation between the damages you're asking for and the damages that actually happened. And I also want some kind of commitment and some kind of plan for a good use for that cash. Any New Jersey business owner will tell you that they're swimming in red tape. The New Jersey uh, Department of Environmental Protection is notorious for harassing businesses making surprise inspections and harassing them over redundant regulations. These things, in conjunction with our poisonous tax climate, convince companies that, you know what, maybe we should hop over to Pennsylvania or move down I-95 to the Carolinas, because that's a place where we can grow and we can hire people to do work and make money without having to constantly deal with the whims of, of the Trenton bureaucrats. And I think this ExxonMobil criticism that we're seeing from certain elements in Trenton is just more evidence of that. Matt Rooney with SaveJersey.com. Thanks again for speaking with us. My pleasure, David. That's all we've got time for this week. The Christie Tracker Podcast is a production of WNYC and New Jersey Public Radio. Thanks to Executive Vice President Dean Capello, Vice Presidents Chris Bannon and Jim Schachter, New Jersey Public Radio Managing Editor Nancy Solomon, and Associate Producer Joseph Capriglione. Our theme music is by 29-Hour Music People. You can subscribe to the Christie Tracker Podcast on iTunes, and you can follow Matt Katz on Twitter at MattKatz00, that's Matt, K-A-T-Z, or Tom Moran at Tom A. Moran. I'm David First. Till next week. Wake up, Governor. I have never fallen asleep during a Bruce Springsteen show. I will never fall asleep during a Bruce Springsteen show.